Welcome to episode of Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And here on Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. Today, I do not have Thomas Horton with me, but I do have a very old friend. Co-creator, actually, of Nation podcast from many, many moons ago. And that is Ben Gertz. Ben Gertz, welcome back to the show. Thanks. I, I might be like a professor emeritus or something like that. Like a... <laughs> Like a, like a green a green jacket on SNL or something like that. Like yeah. I've been on enough to You're a five 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 timers five club. Five timers you're, club. Yeah. yeah. Me and Paul Rudd and you know. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Tina you're, you're the Paul you're the Paul Simon of the group. Um Yeah, and so but yeah, you it's been about a little over a year. It's been a while. Um it's I always have to get something that really interests you to entice you back into the fold. <laughs> sometimes i've i've asked you like here are three months so you're like yeah i'm not really interested in any of that well i think if, if you've heard me on the show before you know that i'm not necessarily an expert so there that's fair so, that's so fair. even on some topics uh that i don't record i'm like i don't have anything to really say about that you, so you're like the you're like the daniel day lewis of the Nation podcast you like oh, come wow. out whenever you like feel like you have a story to tell Jeez, hype um. me up my goodness the daniel day lewis where <laughs> I got to deliver the Oscar at this point now. Yeah, apparently you do. Wow. Um, but yeah, so this month we are discussing the courtroom drama genre. And as I told, we talked, Thomas and I talked about, you actually were on the episode way back in the day when we did a whole courtroom dramas in one episode when the show was insane of how we try to tackle decades worth of a genre in an hour and a half. The show has gotten um, much better. Much better. So we're spreading everything out. Uh, we've talked about 12 Your Men this month. We've talked about Anatomy of Murder. And with this kind of genre, we talk about how, as a from a writing perspective, you get a lot of monologues in courtroom drama. Yeah. You get a lot of characters who can who can go on for 10 minutes or whatever, and you're going to see that in today's episode, um, where you just get to act, kind of, and plead your case. If it's opening arguments, closing arguments, or just cross-examination. Um and that's a big part of it. Uh, with some of the movies we've been covering too, with these courtroom dramas, there's also been kind of a a mystery angle that comes up with some of these ones we've talked about, where like it is kind of unclear of what like like what actually happens. So it's served as also a courtroom drama, also a mystery angle of on um, like detective investigation type type aspect. Yeah, I mean, the the information is usually you know so much turns yeah. on a on a fact or a truth or a lie. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. Like this, like I think we didn't cover this, but like primal fear is an example where you're trying to figure out what actually happened. Um, witness to the prosecution we're talking about later this month, and that does something very similar, where you're trying to figure out what what actually happened in the in the case you're you're trying. And this is a little bit more today's movie with a few good men. It does have that angle with the mystery with the kind of who called the code red. But a lot of this is more of a moral dilemma. We're like, well, have we told people is, what movie we're doing? We're doing a few good men. Few well, good like, men. They saw it. They saw it on the, epi okay. on the episode title. That's true. That's uh, true. But yeah, you, you have kind of this mystery angle uh, that we're talking about. Um, some kind of tropes. You'll see, you'll see either like an older lawyer, the old like small town lawyer or whatever that's doing the big case, like anatomy of murder. Or there's also this with today's movie. It's like the young hotshot lawyer, yeah. Like Tom with Tom Cruise here. Um, you see that a lot in like John Grisham adaptations. If it's like Matt Damon and Rainmaker, um, so yeah, a lot. Usually there's a there's a lawyer who comes in and feels like it's in over their head, and the case allows them to showcase how talented 
they are. Yeah, I just watched and, the Rainmaker on the plane the other day, and yeah. it's <laughs> and it, it, I think they literally have that line where the or the judge, you know, tells him he's like, "You're in over your head, son." Uh, yeah. Exactly. That thing, Dan Glover. And that's yeah. another thing Thomas brought up. It's like when you when you watch a lot of these movies for the not not today, but a lot of these movies you have like that old character actor, yeah. older character actor in the judge role. Yeah. So if it's Danny Glover in the Rainmaker, uh, or if it's uh the actor who plays Herman Munster in the Monsters on My Cousin Vinny, um, that's just a good little part. And then that's a lot a lot of meaty roles in the courtroom drama. Yeah. And today's movie has a lot of meaty roles i oh feel my like goodness. yeah top to bottom yeah. top to bottom and so today's movie as we've said several times is a few good men released in 1992 uh directed by rob reiner written by aaron sorkin his first screenplay credit. so upsetting too because the first screenplay credit and it's a few good men Ugh. yeah oh you, you gotta wait till the, the story of all this because it's, yeah. it's actually it's actually fun um, and stars Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, Demi Moore, Kevin Bacon, Kevin Pollack, Kiefer Sutherland, J.T. Walsh. Like, Keep going. I mean, yeah, you have small appearances by Christopher Guest. Like, comedian Christopher Guest pops up as the doctor role, a very serious role. Yeah. Noah Weil, uh, Cuba Jr., Matt Craven, who I love. Just one scene with Matt Craven. A um, lot of great, great actors here in this movie. Yeah. And so basically the... The premise of the story is there's been a a murder of a marine in guantanamo bay in cuba and these this young lawyer tom cruise uh daniel caffey is assigned to their case and caffey along with joanne galloway who's played demi moore and uh sam weinberg played by kevin pollack have to defend these two young marines who have killed this other marine that was in their in their unit and the question that they're trying to find out is whether this was done on their own or if they were given an order to do so. And if so, then the blame is not on them because they were just following orders. So it's a big right. kind of moral question uh, at the core of this. So, so Ben, this is one of the ones you picked or you told me you would like to do. Um, so what's your history with A Few Good Men? Uh, well, uh, my Wi-Fi name at the house is a few good people or a few good humans. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, th this is not actually, um, like a classic that just jumps to mind for me, but, um, for my wife, it is she, we watched it together, um, mm -hmm. about a year ago. Uh, she was like, I know every line for, you know, or at least some of the big lines from the movie and um it yeah rewatching it i had seen it many years ago but the performances and and the cast i think are unexpectedly incredible in that it's like did they know at the time that they had gathered up just an absolute i mean they jack everyone in the you know there's the bonus features of the you know the blu-ray where they're you know they're talking about everyone understood that jack nicholson yeah was god level but several people say yes, it basically point, that way yeah. i mean he's god level but like you know tom cruise was on his trajectory i suppose but just the full range of everybody they got and the way yeah. they play together and the, a lot of the people praise rob reiner's directing as being mm -hmm. sort of like an actor's director um it's an amazing and, and sorkin i mean right young sorkin the the behind the scenes 
of of young Sorkin talking about this being his first screenplay, and he's like, you know, little did I know that you know it would be so, like that it would go so well, and it's like, oh yeah. my goodness, and you know, and I'm, I guess I'm contrasting in my mind as I was watching that, I was con- contrasting it with his masterclass, you know, where he's now yeah, yeah. glasses and fancy, and you know, his suit jacket, Aaron Sorkin, uh, yeah. God level writer, um, yeah. Yeah, it, it's an ama- it is an amazing movie um in that it seems like just one of those rare just everything sort of clicks. I think it, in yeah. particular at the cast level. I don't know I guess I'll say it. I mean, I don't know that like Sorkin this is, you know, peak Sorkin or anything like that. It's good. Like I think it's great there are yeah, great think, moments. Yeah. But I think yeah. it, I think there's choppy bits too and I think Sorkin yes. sort of owns up to that uh yes. in some of the like you know yeah i but the cast i think the cast the performances in the cast it is something very very special um, yeah and why i think it's interesting about this movie too it's like it's very much a movie that's like i think permeated the pop culture in some way like it's just the quotes itself it's like right. you can't handle the truth yeah everybody like that, knows that line yeah yeah everyone knows that line even if you haven't seen the movie like yeah. i distinctly remember being in high school and a teacher asked, trying to describe the movie to like, oh, it's this movie. It's it's Nicholson and Cruz and blah, blah, blah. And I go, oh, is it a few good men? They go, oh, yeah. Did you like it? I was like, I've never seen it. But it's like, it's just something that like, because you're kind of aware of it. It's mm-hmm. always there. At least I think, I think my, my age and older, I don't yeah. know about Gen Z people knowing a lot about Jack Nicholson <laughs> and a few good men. We cannot, we cannot speculate. Yeah, there are a lot of TikToks about about uh, I can't handle the truth, or you can't you can't handle the truth. But uh, yeah, it's something that's just like it's <laughs> kind of been a part of the genre, or kind of been a part of pop culture, and also the genre as a whole. I think it's one that yeah. is seen as a top tier courtroom drama. I think it's number five on AFI's like top ten courtroom dramas. Wow, and and also you're seeing with this month that we've been kind of covering sometimes similar court cases but you're seeing with this one like the idea of military court mm-hmm. in some way um and that's something that you don't always get to see uh in a big screen on, on the big screen and i think this is kind of the maybe except this in like pads of glory which we talked about recently on our kubrick month i think those are kind of the two like prime military court movies uh but yeah a few good men i haven't watched this in a, in a while maybe only once or twice. I think it's also one that's on cable a lot. So you might, I do still have cable and <laughs> you'll, you'll see like part of it. You'll see part of it occasionally if it's and like, you're going to watch the climactic scene. That's the big one that everyone kind of knows. Sure. Um, but yeah, so it was interesting kind of coming back and watching this and seeing how everyone is at the top of their game at this point. Cruz is on the rise. Uh, Demi Moore is pretty much, She's just done Ghost, I think, two years before. She's becoming this box office sensation or a big kind of popular figure, um, both on and off screen. And then you have Jack Nicholson, who's kind of this elder statesman of acting at this point in time where everyone's looking up to him uh, for this film. It's like it's a star-studded cast for its time period. It's amazing. Yeah, for its time period. It's hard to know, again, if you're sort of on the producing casting side of this movie, if you're like are we the luckiest people alive or did, you know, is it, is it in the like looking back retrospective that they realized how well they did, but there is, there is a bit from the, you know, they talk about Reiner did a table read with everybody and everybody's sitting around 
Uh, you're jumping on my stuff, Ben. I'm, what are okay, you doing? Okay, 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 okay. You're you're cueing me with the elder statesman. It's just that Jack Nicholson yes, yeah, is yeah. a is a clearly of the star-studded cast. He is clearly the anchor, or the I mean, I guess the anchor metaphor would imply that he's bringing it down. He is the pillar that rises, you know, just brings everything up a notch because he, you know. And I was just rewatching some of the scenes before we started recording he just yeah. seems like he's having so much fun so much fun it's like infectious where it's like i mean it just see yeah it just seems like someone was watching the departed on a plane seat next to me which is just the worst yeah. part of planes you know you see 17 movies playing all oh, around see, i you. love i love that part I, of the plane i love that it's part. weird it's weird when people are watching things where you're like i don't know about all this and uh, I'm also kind of weird. I don't watch that many movies on planes. Is the weird thing for, uh, for yeah, me? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I just watch it, Bill. Watch. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. But the, but, the, <laughs> but the Departed. I mean, you know, I saw I saw the scenes with with Nicholson in The Departed. Yeah. And just comparing the two again, it just seems like he's just he's he's done it. You know what I mean? He's already done it all, yeah. and he's just sort of like I'm here to just absolutely leave it yeah. all out there. Um not out of a need but out of a just joy of the whole thing you know it, it's it's amazing yeah. to watch yeah 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 save save your table read stuff okay. I, I'll, I'll, right. I do want to i do want to hear what you stay came tuned. up with stay tuned stay tuned because i have a section but i want i want to hear what you came up with after as our well. commercial break we'll have <laughs> more breaking yeah. news yeah what's what's our sponsor this week <laughs> oh yeah we don't have one um but yeah so let's dive in to kind of the history of how this movie gets into production sure and when talking about A Few Good Men, we have to go back to the event that actually inspired the play, which inspired the movie. In 1986, at the Navy base at Guantanamo Bay, or uh, Gitmo, a young Marine was attacked in his barracks by 10 other Marines while he was asleep. Uh, these Marines blindfolded him with duct tape, stuck some bedding in his mouth, and gave him a severe haircut because apparently the young Marine focused a lot on his hair, which annoyed these Marines. But the bedding put in his mouth forced fluids to enter his lungs, requiring him to go to the emergency room. And this young private almost died and had to go to at least four different hospitals for emergency treatment because of how bad wow. uh, this was. I think he like, got flown from Cuba to Miami. When they later found out that these Marines, about these Marines that attacked uh, the young man, and they were upset by, uh, basically the, the men were upset by how lazy this this marine was and he was a constant complainer mm -hmm. and things got more heated when he threatened to inform his superiors of a fence line shooting that had occurred in his unit which is what happens in the movie right uh this is when the blanket party also known as a code red was issued and it went all the way up to the top with the colonel who was on the base because before the code red the colonel had agreed to ship off the young private the next week before he did he told the marines to let him sweat basically informing them to do the code red it's fair game and yeah. fair game yes and i think one line was that like don't throw him off the third like third floor and kill him but if he falls down the stairs oh well was wow. kind of what the co the comment was wow um because of this incident a trial would soon occur to determine who was at fault for this code red and this is when young struggling playwright Aaron Sorkin enters the story. Mm -hmm. Sorkin was uh, a New York City native and had dreams of being a playwright and also an actor, I think, at one point. 
and he held a lot of odd jobs in the city during the 1980s. He drove limousines, handed out flyers for like shows, I think specifically hunting and fishing shows. I don't know where that was at in New York or if that was somewhere else. Uh, he delivered singing telegrams, bartended, apparently even toured with a children's theater company in Alabama. In Alabama. How weird is that? I, that's, that's what somebody online said. So Sorkin calls up if we're wrong. Um, after, writing a f- after writing, I think, one play that was performed off-off Broadway, um, it's a very small venue. It's two, it's two offs? It's two offs, not one, two offs. Okay. Uh, he got an agent, a theatrical agent, but was still doing odd jobs, of course, sure. uh, around New York, as any young playwright or writer or actor is doing. Uh, in 1986, he was working as a bartender at the Palace Theater in New York uh, during during a Broadway show. And on a Sunday morning before work, he received a call from his sister, Deborah. And Deborah, like Sorkin's brother and Sorkin's father, she was a lawyer. And she had recently graduated from Boston University's law school. And because she was so eager to become a trial lawyer, she signed up for a three-year stint with the Navy's JAG program. And on the call with Aaron, she told him that she was going down to Cuba because of an incident between some Marines. She told her brother these, these men attacked another Marine, almost killing him. And they were trying to determine whether they acted on their own or whether, or, or rather, it was an order given to them known as a code red. Aaron wished her luck, ended the call, and went to work at the theater. And during the show's first act that day, Sorkin began writing ideas and scenes for a possible play on cocktail napkins. And after work, he's 28 or so at this point, like 27, 28. After work, he went straight home, began typing the script out or the play out on his new Apple Macintosh computer. Uh, it was the second generation Mac or whatever, a computer he shared with his roommates because they didn't have enough money to buy one individually. They had to pull their money and buy it together. Uh, he wrote multiple drafts of the play and somehow producer David Brown got wind of the script and Brown either read an article in the New York times about Sorkin's one act play, uh, called hidden in this picture and Sorkin's newest work was being, being read at like a table read or at a read through on a, at a off off Broadway location. Uh, and that was a few good men. Brown liked, loved the script and obtained the theatrical and film rights of the script. And David Brown was actually a pretty heavy hitter in the film industry, having produced films as the sting with Paul Newman and Robert Redford, the verdict cocoon and jaws. And wow. not long, not long after meeting Sorkin, he also produced the Oscar-winning film *Driving Miss Daisy*. Wow! And yeah, so a big guy coming in, and basically Brown wanted to make it into a movie, but Sorkin essentially said, "I'll sell you the rights, but you have to do it as a play first before it's a movie," because he wants to be a playwright. Wow! Um, and Sorkin's reported deal for this was in in was a, at least six figures. They don't know how much, but it was into six figures for this for this like theatrical rights deal huh. for a few good men. I mean, that's pretty gutsy for Sorkin to feel like he has any leverage to negotiate. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, yeah, I guess you just know what you got and you're and you're yeah. brave. But like, you could you know you could imagine less talented or less wise people sort of being like, whatever you say, you know yeah uh, oh yeah T- do whatever you want do with whatever you again, want i'm just happy to but yeah i'm I'm a, I'm a bartender at the palace theater in new york like yeah i need the money but sure. he's just like no no make it as a play first 
Um, so Brown agrees to his play. It goes up, I think, at Kennedy Center in, in DC, or goes it goes up the Kennedy Center and Center, and then it does it plays, I think, at University of Virginia or something, like kind of these like early like out of town runs or whatever. I, and then yeah. it goes goes to Broadway. Yeah. What are you gonna say? Well, I mean, it, you know, it's the military theme, right? I mean, it, it's perfect yeah. to play in those uh in those those venues. Venues. And yeah. it, and it is there yeah, there was a little bit uh from Sorkin just talking about how many drafts of the play he went through and the table reads and the producer's notes and the audience, you know, and then seeing it run through all these different runs like yeah. He lived this story for a really long time. For years. For years. Really for years. Yes. Which I think, you know, um just to our sort of like, you know, this is now my opinion or whatever, right? But there there are aspects of the of the dialogue and the and the film script that feel you know, they don't feel like the Sorkin we know later in yes. his career, yes. you know, cuz he yes. really he really does want the monologues. He really does want the like chippy chirpy back and forth quips and things but this one it there's a clunk there's a little bit more clunk to it yes than he gets later on in his career and i and i think it's probably the genius or the right thing that it was a play first that had time to really marinate or become what it became because probably i don't know what those early drafts would have looked Mm -hmm. like that were optioned but i don't know that we'd have i don't i think for sure we would not have the the amazing film that we have right and and yeah, yeah. you probably wouldn't get the cast just to, you know just a spitball yeah. an alternate uh hard to know but alternate world yeah but no, yeah we'll get into count because he because he changed the play like you said a lot for for years really and we'll right. get into kind of that uh in a minute but yeah so it would go up on broadway in november of 89 and there was a lot of buzz surrounding this wonderkin who landed such a lucrative deal for his first play, or really his first big play. He only did written one one-act play before then. Right. Uh, however, critics were not blown away by the play. Hmm. It would be a financial success, however. And Brown would soon be able to drum up interest from Hollywood to adapt the play. And after gaining finance for the film, Brown received a call from Alan Horn at Castle Rock Entertainment, who said they were anxious to make the film with Brown. And if you listen to our recent episode on Stand By Me, you would know that one of the founders of Castle Rock Entertainment is director Rob Reiner. And soon Mm -hmm. Rob Reiner would become attached to direct the film. And Reiner was interested in the project because he related the character of Kathy, the film's main character. Like Kathy, Reiner was in the same industry as his father, Carl Reiner, and we talked about this on Stand By Me, but Reiner had a complicated relationship with his father simply because they were both well-known directors and Rob always felt like he was in the shadow of his dad. And that was the hook that brought him into A Few Good Men. Yeah, he has a he has a bit in the in the bonus features, you know, with an interview bit where he says that it, it felt like it, the first film where he was really like a, a his own sort of grown man, basically. Which I, yeah, I, I mean. I don't know his age at the time of filming, but he seems like an extremely grown man. Uh, well, I think I think because at that point he he's gone crazy run. Yeah. Of, he just done Misery when Harry Met Sally, Stand by Me, um, and I, when Harry Met Sally it was like he just gone through a divorce, got married right after when Harry Met Sally. Misery was kind of his like. A, a, basically he he related to james con because james con's a writer who wants to try new things as a writer and rob Reiner's like that's me i want to do stuff that's not comedy 
because he's known as the comedy guy or whatever. Right. And so he wanted to try new things. So it's almost like after all those those eighties, those films in the eighties, a few good men's kind of the um the in his in his eye like the pinnacle of what I've built to in some way mm-hmm. throughout the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um so Sorkin would soon be tasked with adapting his play into screenplay form, which is something he had never done before reiner i think was a little which is well it's a it's amazing because he again in the you know interview bits he's like i literally had never done a screenplay ever and went to a bookstore and bought a book on formatting yep and sat there and tried to type it all out and that's that again to the like how he negotiated that how he built up that rapport it's that's a that's a big if you're the producer throwing money around, you're like, I don't know. I could I could farm this to any number of screenwriters to adapt, right? It's just yep. an adaptation. Yeah. The fact that Sorkin got a crack at it and pulled it off. Yeah. And and is the sole screen screenplay screen or the screenwriter on this. There is we'll bring up the name that comes into play a little bit. Yeah. But but yeah, he he did not know how to do it. And he, he said in an interview that reiner was a little like you've never written a screenplay before and it was kind of like basically asked and i think basically they were like can you do this and sorkin's like let me I'll, I'll describe the first opening scenes of the movie and basically he described the the opening kind of like seeing the fence fence line area in cuba the the code red incident uh cruise at the softball thing he describes kind of the opening scenes of the movie to reiner and reiner's like, okay cool that sounds good go write the movie um and that's what kind of got him the job yeah. essentially and like you say he started studying the format by buying a book or whatever it took him three days apparently to write one page which because see, it was it so seems unknown like an, to him it seems like an exaggeration but uh but i get the point it probably uh, yeah um and and sorkin and reiner would then work on the script together for eight months wow and he started writing it in his manhattan apartment before before i think going back to la to work with reiner and reiner would go page by page line by line with sorkin revising the script wow Uh, sorkin said that it was loud and intense and passionate work if someone in the script asked for a glass of water rob would ask why a glass and not a cup he kept saying, "How does this fit into the puzzle?" He needed every question answered. Wow, which is which is pretty surprising. Like that level of collaboration. I mean, you're saying yeah. that he got sole credit. Uh, that's a lot of collaboration with the director. That's a lot. Of colla- yeah, Aaron, he he speaks very highly of Ryan of Reiner. Where like, sure. there's one point uh, he was talking about how on set he would kind of give a little bit of direction to an actor, or whatever, and and they're like, oh, well, like. What wouldn't a director not like that? He's like, but he has Rob, he has Rob, Rob wouldn't like Rob was basically cool with a collaborative environment. You're saying Sorkin uh, gave direction to actors, apparently, yes, wow. huh? Yeah, or some sort of like this is what I meant when I wrote this, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and Sorkin also that Reiner would keep wanting him to focus on the father son elements of the story. Hmm. He said he would tell stories about how difficult it was to grow up being the son of a famous father. And after several drafts together, they brought on famed writer William Goldman 
who wrote such films as The Princess Bride, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and All the President's Men to do an uncredited rewrite for the movie, and was apparently paid $300,000 for it, Wow, is what I what I read. Uh, Sorkin loved Goldman's changes so much, and Reiner's changes too, by the way, that he would incorporate them into the play version, basically rewriting the play wow. before, before it went on national tour with these changes. Oh, uh, wow, I didn't know that. He's got a he's got a line in an interview talking about how Goldman told him like don't worry about the format kid just write your story. Um, yeah, Gold, yeah, Goldman would become this a mentor for him, which pretty is pretty early on. I mean, come on, <laughs> cocktail napkins and you know whatever, and then William One of the great, Goldman, great, is, great, yeah, greatest screenplay writers of all time is your mentor. Get out of here! It's very upsetting. I'm very happy for him. <laughs> I'm very happy for him, but my goodness, uh, yes. <laughs> Don't know how to format a screenplay. And then William Goldman's like, oh, don't yeah. worry about it, kid. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's so upsetting. <laughs> oh, man. So one of the biggest changes they made in the script phase was removing a forged log logbook that served the, as the trial's smoking gun in the play. Reiner said the reason why it was cut was because he felt like if you... It, it, because he felt like you didn't need a brilliant lawyer for that and it wouldn't show Kathy as a great lawyer and that's what he wanted to do. Mm. So basically any lawyer could find that logbook uh and prove that there was a lie, but he wanted Kathy to kind of work his way through the problem, the puzzle. Yeah. As the script was being written, Reiner began casting the movie and before Reiner came on board, one studio actually declined making the movie because there wasn't enough star power for the film i guess i don't know because the play didn't have anyone big tom holtz was in the original play tom holtz from amadeus actor in amadeus okay. Oscar tom holtz hmm. um and i don't know if reiner got that note but he basically went straight after stars right from the beginning he called up tom cruise and asked him if he'd be interested in the play and in the, in the, in the movie and he told him to go see the play and see if he liked the role mm -hmm. once the play was finished that night cruise called him up and said he was in yeah and Cruz, again, on this hot streak, as usual, actually, had been nominated for an Oscar a few years before for Oliver Stone's Born on the Fourth of July. So he's kind of in actor mode, but still doing like Days of Thunder with Tony Scott. But so, just to, just again, a note on the like, make it a play first versus the movie. I mean, again, that's a great it's a great thing. It's like, go. You don't go know watch this. Play. You don't know this writer. You know me, Rob Reiner. Yeah. But, but you don't know that the script isn't done. But do you want to do this movie? <laughs> like, yeah, go see the play. That it's it's really yeah. it's just yeah. There's some great decisions. Yeah, and, and it's it's doing well in New York. Yeah, audiences are liking it. It's a good like, hey, this is gonna be, it's gonna be a hit. Mm -hmm. And Reiner would then audition for other roles, or he'd start picking people that he wanted. And one of those was Lieutenant Commander Joanne Galloway. Uh, Demi Moore would was actively pursuing the the role, even showing up at the audition while being eight months pregnant. Um, I've learned a lot about Demi Moore these past like few months that we've done a lot of these shows because she's always her name comes up a lot in the in the eighties and early nineties of like actively going after roles mm. even though she's kind of become a star in her own right she's like I want this I want this role she did a lot with Adrian Line uh, stuff like Fatal Attraction and those movies mm -hmm. or Flashdance but like she's always actually pursuing stuff and she did that here. Uh, when it came to Kevin Pollack's role of, we of Weinberg, Reiner was initially looking at Jason Alexander for the role. Uh, Pollack was doing a television show for Reiner and Christopher Guest at the time, and it ran for only six episodes in the summer of 1991. 
But while on set, Reiner said that Reiner basically asked Pollock if he'd be interested in the role because Alexander was on a TV show that might get renewed for a second season. And that's that show was Seinfeld. Um, and so when Seinfeld got renewed, Alexander couldn't be in the movie. And that's how Pollock got the role of Weinberg. And he he's great. You know, he's the, he's a very strong, like relief, like, you know, relief to the tension he, between Demi yeah. Moore and Tom Cruise, which is great. He feels like the most Aaron Sorkin character in the movie is the thing. Do you think that's because of our like West Wing knowledge, you know, of Yes. I, I think so. Cause it just it just feels the most like it's he's the most quippy. Yeah. He's the most like he, like humor but also complex because he we'll talk about that in favorite scenes, but he has some yeah. like some great moments that kind of show more to him than just like he's the quippy sidekick. I mean he's uh, kind of he's kind of the heart of the movie in in several mo- or he he brings the emotional sort of weight to some of the yeah. moments you know i mean tom cruise is all energy and panic and sort of mm-hmm. spun up a million degree you know a million turns or whatever and demi moore is this you know firm uh and and then he you know yeah pollock is is amazing well i think that Moore and cruise is that their characters are both trying to prove something yeah is that Moore's trying to prove that she deserves to be a lawyer and and she should have been given this trial or whatever to begin with. Right. And Kathy is trying to prove that he can live up to his father's reputation, basically. Right. And he can he earn a seat at, the, seat at the table, basically. Which just just thinking briefly for a second again about the writing, the structure of the movie, yeah. like Demi Moore feels like she has a steeper hill to climb at, in the role because like yes. her want, her want, her like like you just said, her want is to prove that she should have gotten the role like it's not a lot to yeah. work with compared to cruise cruise is given basically this like you know massive runway to just you know streak down on a motorcycle with no helmet on um so mm-hmm. I, I in thinking about some of those scenes between the two of them it's so impressive what demi yeah. moore sort of brings into those moments because um you know it's hard it's hard to watch tom cruise in the past and not go, oh, he's amazing because he's in <laughs> Top Gun Maverick, you know, like to know yeah, yeah. all the things that he will ultimately do, like go to the International Space Station on a rocket because he's Tom Cruise. <laughs> but in in that moment, you know, I think Demi Moore's performance is really, really noteworthy because I think I think that she's stretching the character more if that's sort of a thing yes. to to oh, argue yeah. for here um she's doing more than what's on the page exactly is basically is basically what it exactly, is yeah, yeah yeah no i agree with that um a little more on the cast so kevin bacon was asked to be in the movie but he actually wanted to play i believe he wasn't for sure but he said he wanted to be Kiefer sutherland's character as like the 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 meat or kind of the the mean marine that works for nicholson kind of nicholson's lackey yeah. essentially they're both smarmy individuals so you could swap them and i can yeah. see it working yeah but i think bacon's is a little more interesting because what i find what i think it's done really well here is that it shows that him and Cruz are actually good friends mm-hmm. which is like why i've learned a lot about law in these past few years of watching a lot of law youtube videos um is that like they're like oh yeah we're all good friends we just like in the courtroom where we're we're battling it out but like we're gonna have lunch afterwards yeah it's a small uh, you yeah. know it's a small world sort of thing yeah. even in a big city or whatever you want to say yeah, yeah. The, even the, you know the judges like they everybody yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I think this show this movie shows it very well, like of of that relationship that's out there. Like it's like we're gonna play basketball tomorrow night or whatever. Like that's all there, and even at the very end of the movie, it's that way too, where they're kind of like, "All right, that's you did it. Let's go do whatever. Like we're still friends." You know, um, on, and, on this note though, the we don't really get a lot out of the judge, right? No, we don't. It, it, no, like, we don't. Just thinking about the genre, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking about the Rainmaker, like you got Danny Glover as the judge. Like there's a, there's a real rapport and like, he's, he's sort of pulling it along. Anyway, there's a lot of moments to where he he plays a real important part in that story. We get very little from the judge uh, in this case, which I think is, I don't know. It's just interesting. It's different. For, yeah. It's different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's like he's more of a stern character. He had, I think, sure. I think the only t- only time he kind of gets a little bit of moment, a few kind of, I guess, uh, fine or kind of well done moments is like when um Nicholson's in there, when right. when it's the like I've earned when when basically Nicholson I I want him to call me like Colonel or Sir. I think I've earned it or whatever. Yeah. And then he says, "What kind of unit are you running here?" Yeah. he's like <laughs> yeah I, I either either the courts or or your honor i think i've earned like that's kind of the only yeah. like big moment he kind of has yeah and he's good at, he's good in the role i'm just saying just again it's kind of story genre it's it's interesting we we don't really go back into chambers right i don't yeah. from memory like yeah there he's just sort no, of we don't we don't he's just sort of there fulfilling his role there's no relationship between the yeah. lawyers and the judge is yeah. the thing um so yeah but bacon wanted to play the, the sarlin role and then realized you know what i should probably play i <laughs> think play the character of jack who's the prosecutor mm-hmm. um another actor that was very adamant about being in this movie was james woods james woods apparently auditioned for colonel jessup but did not oh. get it because wow. that role would eventually go to jack nicholson <laughs> well wow. and ap- apparently reiner had seen him I think on an award show of some kind, and he's like, oh, that's that's Jessup. That's Colonel Jessup. Uh, Nicholson would be paid $5 million for 10 days worth of work. So $500,000 a day is what he was getting paid for. I mean, worth every uh, penny. Pay him more. Yeah. I, I hope he, he got actually, residuals. I think he actually said that he was like, uh, where is that? It was one of the few times when it was money well spent, is what he said. Mm. Um but yeah, so with all that, actors are cast for the most part. There's one actor I'm leaving out for uh, for later for Onset Life. But we move into production. So let's talk about favorite scenes. We've kind of gone through a few different things here. But what's one of your favorite scenes in the movie? Um, you know, I just, I just again was re-watch, rewatching several moments, and it's a it's a small thing. I really like um, the you know the the relationship that. Demi Moore and Tom Cruise have in the sense that Demi Moore, I mean, Tom Cruise is a lot seems to be in real life (laughs) and in most movies, you know what I mean? He, he is, I mean, I just watched, I I rewatched mission impossible Two, And if there's ever a movie, that's just like all Tom Cruise all the time in the most ridiculous (laughs) ways, it's that movie. And yeah, uh, I think Demi Moore does a great job of playing this pretty difficult bit of pushing him down. And so the scene that I, I think is a wonderful setup of that is that bit where he walks in her office with the apple. Uh, <laughs> I think, it, I, you know, it's, it's again, like Jack Nicholson's having a great time, but Tom Cruise is having a great time. Yeah. He's, he's a, he's a, like an idiot basically. And he's sitting there wiping his hands, then, slapping them together. Yeah. Like it, there's, there's so well, many little things that I think he's doing that I don't know what's in the script. You know, I haven't read yeah. the script, but I think he's, 
just magnetic. And Demi Moore is sitting there the whole time domineering, yeah. you know, in a way that works so well. It's a, it, I, there are many favorite scenes yeah. to be picked from, but I, I really like just thinking about all the little choices they're making. There's some great, great bits. Well, yeah. Well, that scene's like, I love when, when he's like walks in, he's like, I'm looking for Lieutenant Galloway. I'm, uh, Daniel Caffey and she's on the phone. She goes like, I have to call you back. Yeah, exactly. Like she, re- exactly. she realizes like, Oh no. Yeah. She sees, she sees what it is. And then Kevin Pollock's great in that scene. It's a good interplay. Like it's a good intro of seeing all three of those characters together right. I, because bef- yeah. before then Pollock's just kind of been like, he he had like the meeting beforehand. Yeah. He's not, there's not a lot of him and Cruz interplay. But yeah, it's the moment when he when she goes like talking about Colonel Jess, you know who he is, of course. And then he's like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And looks at Pollock and he's like, he's about to get recruited to, or he's about to be promoted to this position. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it establishes the dynamic between the three of them for the whole film, and it does yeah. it very succinctly. Uh you get the bombastic, just kind of assholery, basically, of Tom Cruise yeah. so well. And Demi Moore is just having none of it. And at the but at the same time, she picks up the trash can to take his apple. You know what I mean? There's it's just great. there's just some great there's some great little bits. I would love to know. I you know it, I'd love to see more of the screenplay to see what they what, what they, they lifted what they that to. Yeah, yeah. But no, it's a fun scene, and it's and and Cruz in this movie. There's something about this him in this movie. There's something because I've seen a lot of movies this period with him, mm-hmm. and this one feels like he's the most loose, if that makes sense. Yeah, like he just he feels a little bit more looser in the or more looser in this movie. Well, he's got those baseball bits, right? That are that yeah. are also like potential favorite scenes where he's kind of yeah. trying to coach the guy, like you gotta you gotta keep your. I'm telling you, you you open, look, your, you open your eyes, ten percent more likely to catch it. <laughs> I mean, he's funny. He's really really yeah. funny. It's a funny movie, actually. Yeah, it really is a funny movie, especially. Uh, yeah, I mean. There's an odd way it opens on the fence line, but then very yeah. quickly after you do the the very cool title sequence with the the Marines marching band and all the gun yes. yeah. choreography and then Demi Moore kind of sweeping off the edge into the opening, like very cool. And then you're very quickly into that Tom Cruise being a smart ass uh, baseball stuff, which he gets yeah. a couple goes at. Um, yeah, it's fun. It's very fun. Yeah. It's a great to him, Matt Craven, when when he's like, "You were supposed to be in our office 15 minutes yeah. ago," and he's yeah. just like, uh, basically argues it all the way down to like 15 days restricted like leave right. or whatever, and he was just like, "It's like you see how in that moment you see how good Kathy is at arguing law, and not even arguing, just basically how to make the other person's job more difficult." Yeah, and it's actually a great moment because you then realize later that this is just stuff he's heard from other places. Cause that scene at the bar where it's actually Sorkin is saying, is basically doing that same exact spiel that Cruz did earlier in the movie. It's very, it's very brief. It's when Cruz is thinking about taking the, about deciding if he should go to the trial and mm. do the actual, the, the thing. And he's like walking around DC and everything like that, but he's at like a, a bar yeah. and he's overhearing. And he says like, Oh, and Sorkin's and his cameo says like, Oh, I told him like I I would I would keep filing motions until like he had so much paperwork he'd be having to do it to his like ninety years old or whatever. Yeah. And that just felt like a, a line that Cruz says earlier on to Matt Craven. It's like, oh, it's is Cruz just overhearing stuff as a way to put that into his like arguments with people? Um, or is he actually a good lawyer? That's kind of the big key 
um, in the movie for the first half, it's like, is Cruz actually, is Caffey actually a good lawyer? Yeah. Is the big thing. And he's asking himself that question kind of in that section right there. Well, and he, he um, doesn't know, right? I mean, he's been told he that he's a hot yeah. shot. He acts like a hot shot. But this is, I, I assume, part of what, what Rob Reiner was trying to bring in is like, well, you're the son of a fame. You live in the shadow. Yeah. You've never really had to sort of like, you know, swim on your own. And everybody's yeah. sort of given you a lot of runway because of who you are. But you really got to you got to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because that's that's the thing is that he's never been in a court case, courtroom. Right. He's he's basically he's they're like the king of the plea plea deal. Right. Where he's taken forty four plea deals. Right. And it's like number forty five, he gets a steak a set of steak knives. Yeah. And here here's going off. The, this is not favorite stuff, but when talk about kind of the you talk about clunkiness of this movie, and there is some parts where I feel like the sorkinness of it comes through. And sometimes hurts parts of the movie. Mm. I think there's a specific moment that I'm like, I it's like because he likes doing callbacks a lot of the time. Sorkin does. And there's the moment at one point when Moore leaves Cruz after he's like been drunk and has been yelling or whatever. Right. And she's like, I'm sorry, you can't get your, your set of steak knives. And she leaves. And it's such a like very like very far callback. It feels like, mm-hmm. and it's trying to be quippy and, and quippy and like smart and clever and it just felt odd in that moment of time because that scene's very emotional and crew they all give great performance in that scene when Cruz basically shows up that like the other uh, jt wash characters killed himself and uh they've screwed they've screwed up that day uh in general and like he's drunk and it starts ranting about what's happened um and all that stuff's great, and then just has a weird beat at the end where she leaves is the thing. It just feels like the sorkiness of it kind of hurt that moment for me is the thing. Yeah, that's not one that bothers me. I mean, I think, um, you know, I was just praising, like, the the favorite scene, you know, the three of the, the dynamic of the three of them yeah. is the setup is sort of how they'll, how they'll be for the rest yeah. of the movie. But there is, there's some pretty... Um, and this is, it's difficult for all movies and all characters, right? Of like, who are these people? But there's quite, there's a lot of dialogue heavy, you know, oh, and let me tell you about, I'm going to tell you, uh, Demi Moore has the bit where she's like, I know who you are. You're born in this hospital, blah, blah, you know, she's, and your, your dad is so-and-so there. They do that for a couple different people. Um, because Nicholson and, uh, JT Walsh have the same thing where he's like, I, we went to the academy. We went to the academy together, and I know you know. I'm not going to try yeah. and do Nicholson, but you know what I'm saying. Like there, it's very similar in the like we go back. I know you. It's just yeah. it's a little, yeah. You know, I just I don't know. There are other ways to go about it. I think there there are a lot of great things about how the characters are introduced, and there are a lot of characters to introduce. But yes. some of that dialogue heavy exposition it almost feels <laughs> and i guess this is a negative it almost feels nolan like christopher nolan-esque uh and i say that as like you know interstellar as as, yeah. as god uh god level movie but but he does the same thing where he's like i really want to put these lines in an actor's yeah. that force them to say this and i'm gonna keep yes. it all in the final cut we go back years buddy yeah like you, he goes, and you're kind of jealous of me. 
is what like, yeah, it's, it's, it's like very lot, just like it's a lot, it's a lot to lot. just say out loud um yeah there there are almost certainly more interesting ways to sort of reveal yeah. that and and i'm gonna bring that back because that, that scene i want to talk about later and what did okay. not work because yeah. I, I have yeah. i have things with that but no but let's let's not be negative for a second yeah. um but no speaking of nicholson let's talk about him yeah because for one i love not his intro scene i love his introduction to cruise in them mm. like that scene with him and the cigar and he's spoken out in cuba yeah like yeah. he it's just like that should have been his first scene honestly that mm. should have been his first scene in the movie and i mean he's got been... a great opening line that we can't say here for for the public i suppose but no you can you can no you can say it if you want to no it's, I'm, just I'm... More of, it's your personal preference well i mean i you know the story the stories of the table read where supposedly you know he's his opening bit like come on it's a, it is a great opening bit i hear what you're saying yeah. the visual the visual of them at that table at that exterior in cuba i think is a more interesting it's sort of yeah. more like a king it's more like a king come to my yeah. um you know court and and well yeah well i'll bring it up here since we're talking about yeah. why i don't like that scene it's structurally it's a weird flashback moment. Mm. This is a flashback. It's already, it's the things already happened. That's true. And, That's true. And, and, and he, and I get why he shows some stuff with the pro like he shows like private Willie, uh, uh, is like writing the letter and he's showing him running. And, stuff. and that all makes sense because you're reading his letter and you're getting his perspective. That makes sense. She would see him doing all those things, yeah. but then it just switches to Nicholson. He's like, who the fuck is private willie whatever it's like, yeah. it's like he he it's like he it's santiago. just comes, who's private private santiago yeah and and then it's just them setting all this stuff up and i was like why do we need this i just i didn't think we needed it i i, I get there's stuff that's probably important in that scene but i i wondered what would it be like without knowing like if we're building up nicholson if we're trying to build up the mystery of it all yeah, it seems like you are to your point. I mean, it it is interesting the time jump aspect of it. I didn't re it didn't really actually hit me when I was rewatching it here. But but the I think the key thing that we get that I'm not sure that we could get with Cruz and Demi Moore at the table, although we get a similar sentiment from the table scene outside, is Nicholson basically giving his like, I think our job is to help young santiago you know we're yeah it's not we're not just going to ship the problem off our role is to train up soldiers because that's what the country needs from us like I, basically you you get that essential bit of you know what i'm doing is counterintuitive you all of you people all of you slick harvard educated people including the audience i think in some sense yeah, yeah. right you yeah. you sit there with the blanket of freedom Right. And I have to sit here and do what is hard, make the hard calls because I'm a, you know, I'm a tough, tough guy and the world is a tough place. It's kind of the like Dick Cheney line, uh, you know, from Adam McKay. Uh, I guess I'm really reaching here for people who may not have seen that, but in Vice, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, the, it, it's a powerful bit of like, you know, you hate me, but you, you needed me, you know, yeah. that, that, that flipping it, uh, where you're it's potentially the, not a murderer, although I guess many people would say that Dick Cheney is a murderer. But anyway, yeah. it's yeah, it's that you want me on that wall, you need me on that yeah, wall, exactly. Like that's that's what it is. Yeah. It's like and and that again, 
that's a great scene when he meets all of them and he's smoking the smoking yeah. the cigar with the sun with the Cuban sunset in right. the background. Ask me nicely. Yeah. You gotta ask me nicely. Yeah. Like that's great. And I do love also the scene before that when they meet him in his office and he starts talking about uh Kathy's dad. Yeah. And he's like going on, he's like, How or how is the old man? <laughs> he's like, he died seven years ago. Duh. Don't I feel like an asshole? Man, it just again. <laughs> I think they kept, you know, they did the scenes and kept the scenes because they had Jack Nicholson doing the scenes. Yeah. Brandon, yeah, they. Yeah, no, I know that's fair. Structurally, I I get yeah. your point, and I think you are right. Like, I think that there is, yeah, there is no reveal. I mean, they, okay, when do you want to talk about Ebert's review? Uh, we'll bring that. We'll bring that up later. Okay. We'll bring that up okay. later. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. But yeah, he. Well, I'll bring up this part here because there's one part that he said that uh, we're jumping around here. But there's one part he said that he didn't like that I I actually enjoyed, and he like he didn't like that Cruz and Moore like didn't get together is kind of the thing. That's He's one like, of his ca- critiques, yeah, which is re- and, is and, pretty odd. And, and I kind of like they don't get together. Like well, I just the, don't. Uh, the seafood like scene, fine. the seafood scene between them is really to me. Uh, speaking of scenes that I don't really like, like to me it feels very off because I don't want yeah, or need fair. them to be in some sort of love relationship thing. it's it look it is shot and and staged as if they are basically like that's lovers fair. and it yeah. does not feel right to me because i don't I, care yeah and ebert has I, a line that i think is pr- almost certainly like oddly speculative and almost offensive of like you know i have a friend who told me that it was likely uh a man like the role was originally a oh, male yeah, that role part. yeah yeah but they just made it a woman but didn't and it's like i don't i mean you know sorkin's yeah. sister is like the that's source what I of inspiration too. so yeah. like how what are what are, what's wrong with you uh, i, yeah, I just yeah. didn't it's a it's an odd review we can we can yeah. cover more of of the review we'll, we'll but, yeah but yeah i yeah i get your point on that i like them in that scene together but I get your point that like it's just kind of there, like it's. I think it's. I, I almost wonder if it's there to be, to show them like to be like be better friends essentially. But I think they have but lines. It play, it's play, don't they it's have plays, lines about like you know like do. being like the you know how many? It's uh, teasing. It's te- it's teasing a romantic relationship that never happens. Yeah. It's like it's like the one line that comes to mind is when he's like. Oh yeah, and don't don't wear your perfume when I smell it. It it like it like throws me off. And she's like, really? When they're like talking, when they do like the like the kind of the montage of like planning the the trial. So like, don't wear your perfume because that really kind of when I smell, it just kind of gets catches me off guard. And she's just like, and it's it's like it's a hint of like, oh, there could be a romantic relationship here. And then right after that, you have or not long after, you have the lobster stuff. But then it never nothing ever happens. And so, but I like they don't get together. Oh, I no, like yeah. In, yeah. Yeah, it's just, I like them in, and I like this in, in those scenes. It just is like mismatched in some way. It, is the thing. It's discordant to the, to sort of the theme yeah. of the movie. I mean, as an example, like just, you know, just having watched the, the Rainmaker the other day, I haven't read the book, um, but the like, you know the a the a line story the main story of the movie is is very understandable it's a trial yeah the b story is his love interest with this you know battered woman claire danes yeah claire danes and it is very oddly intercut <laughs> very oddly intercut i mean i didn't like it in the i think i've seen it years and years and years ago 
but yeah. uh but they have to get together you know it, there has to yeah. be this love story and it's like again i i'm not trying to like sort of rack up points here but like demi moore's role is a fairly rare thing she's extremely talented and incredible mm-hmm. in the role and i think it has to be very frustrating for some you know sort of middle-aged female actors to be stuck over and over again falling in love with this like star lead male right it's like yeah let me just play a part where i'm just yeah. a character right i'm just yeah I, again i'm not trying to like uh, you know run around on twitter well, and 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 make new friends but but i just think it's like she's great in the movie she's great in the role yeah. and they're pretty few and far between uh yeah. sort of in a bechdel test sort of sense it's like and they shouldn't be, I guess. Oh yeah, I, I, this movie doesn't pass the Bechdel test. I can tell you that. Right yeah, there. I know, I know. Well, but... well, well, well. I don't know. Well, I know she has the stuff with the aunt, with the with the with the uh, the private's aunt. But I don't know if you ever see them directly talking. That's a that's it's a reach. A, it's a reach. It's a reach. It's a. Re- I do love the line when she when he when he sees the aunt when Cruz sees the aunt. Oh, I thought I was expecting someone older, and she goes, "I would say the same about you or whatever it was." Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's let's go into that because I think the movie because i think the pace is kind of off in that first half but when they get because all, all the stuff we're talking about we don't like is kind of in that first part when they get to the trial that's when the movie i think really starts clicking yeah like firing on all cylinders i think the pace of it's great i think their interplay all together is great again going into that kind of drunken rant when Cruz is drinking jack daniels and kind of yeah it almost feels very jim like if jim carrey did it so it could be a comedic performance in a way because he kind of feels that way when he's very over the top. He's very over the like, top in a way that I you don't like it that much. I it doesn't. I mean, I I'm not going to critique the man who's going to go to the space station uh, for a film, but it doesn't. Yeah, it does feel very Jim Carrey to me. It it just seems like it it builds pretty quickly at the end. Yeah, I think part of it thinking about the range. I mean, this this is tough if you're Tom Cruise. You're playing opposite Jack Nicholson. Um, but then there's a lot of other great actors. And you think about, like, this is maybe spoiling my, you know, later statements. But, like... Are, are you talking about the drunken scene or are you talking about the climactic... Uh, I, I'm like talking about the drunken the... scene in particular, gotcha, which is gotcha, not gotcha. opposite Nicholson. I'm just saying... Gotcha, okay. Yeah, it, it's sure. clear. It sounds like, you know, I think Rob Reiner was just talking about how how aggressively Tom Cruise worked throughout the whole movie just yeah. constantly trying to do it better do it again i can give you this i can give you that he's trying to bring yeah. his absolute top of the top of the top and yeah. i think it's a little bit of a mismatch this probably would fall more towards like rob reiner's thing of like and and he got what he wanted i assume it's a great movie but yeah. like you think about <laughs> jt walsh like you think yeah. there's some really really restrained performances i think kevin pollack as another yeah kind of counterpoint like there are some people who are very restrained in what they're doing and tom cruise i guess is the counterpoint is just all over the map in that scene which is the point but it yeah it doesn't i'm yeah i don't know it doesn't it doesn't yeah and let's go let's go to the final big yeah. battle one-on-one between cruise and nicholson yeah um nicholson just eats this shit up like it's just it's just like he 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 just is like acting his ass off in this scene and it's amazing to watch the snarl the growl the the like the like the 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 way he builds in the scene where it's like 
It's like, I called my sister, like, wanted to see if she wanted to get dinner. Like, and then it's like, it just, the way it goes, and the way it starts to unravel and he starts to realize his mistakes as he goes. Yeah. Is the thing. It's just, it's, it's, he's perfect. It's, it's amazing how great he is in that scene. I mean, it's performance of a lifetime and supposedly on set, he did it top. You keep, you keep jumping. All right. You keep jumping. All right. All right. (laughs) Give me one, Brandon. Supposedly he delivered it a hundred percent every time all takes not on camera and people were intimidated by it i'm sorry brandon i'm sorry (laughs) i did my this is let's say this i did my homework i'm like tom cruise here i'm bringing my a-game to this you're usually scolding me i've done my homework here no okay to to your point nicholson (laughs) go ahead go ahead he's he's incredible yeah obviously it's performance of a lifetime cruise meets him i don't you know I wouldn't say that. Anyway, Nicholson is the star. He's he's an angry, ugly, gro- like just kind of gross, gruff yeah. man. It's like, yeah. how do you, you know, it's it's pretty easy to imagine that there are like a million good looking guys who want to be Tom Cruise, right? Yeah. But the people who want to spend their whole life becoming a Jack Nicholson, I mean, it's clear once you're like a god, like, sure, I'd love to do yeah. that. But like- Oh my goodness. There's not well, many yeah. people who can deliver what he delivered. Oh, right? I agree. I agree. And I think like I think Bacon talked talked about this. He was like, Yeah, he's like, sometimes age for some actors is like very good. It's yeah. like you age into right. becoming Jack Nicholson. Right. Um, and it's like you can't see a younger guy doing that role. No. <clears throat> is the thing. Um Well, and I guess to my he, point, there's 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 like a winnowing, right? There's there's a way in which like you can only stay in the game for so long unless you know yeah. unless you're already a star and then once you kind of get to that age there's just there's not that many people jumping in to be 65 year old or 60 you know whatever age yeah really really great actor so it's a small uh yeah it's a small list of people who could potentially deliver what he delivered and i think he's probably the best yeah the best i know you're going to ask me about alternate cast at some point but yeah, yeah. I'd cast Nicholson today. Yeah, remade it. <laughs> he's 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 eighty five today. I just want you to be aware. He he's refuses 85. to retire. Up and out, but he refuses. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's gonna do it? You, you, Lieutenant Weinberg. I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. The one part of casting that did not I did not talk about earlier was the casting of Lance Corporal Dawson, and the actor was Wolfgang Wolfgang Bodison. And Bodison originally worked at Castle Rock Entertainment in their in their mailroom. He was then promoted to Rob Reiner's personal assistant on Misery in 1990. Is this who you're talking about? It is. is yes. Up? Okay. It is, yeah. 
He then worked as a picture car coordinator on John Singleton's Boys in the Hood before being hired as a location scout on A Few Good Men. And Boston recalls talking with Reiner, and Reiner asked if he ever acted before, and Boston had not. And Reiner asked him to audition for the role, and not long after, Reiner offered the role. So he was promoted from location scout to principal actor. And he does a good job in this movie. He does a great job. So good, yeah. The story that I that I saw was that basically Reiner was like, I can't find... Yeah, you know, we can't find somebody for this part, and then he's supposedly walking down the hall when he's like, you know, we need a, we need a guy like, like, uh, you know, Boston Wolfgang, or Wolfgang, Wolfgang. We need, yeah. a, we need Wolfgang, and then he's like, wait a second, you know, and and brings him in to read. It's uh, it's, again, Tom Cruise, Kevin Pollak, Demi Moore, Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson, like Kevin Bacon, and you're in the room, and you're the guy who's never acted before. Yeah, that seems unbelievable again kind of like sorkin being like i wrote it on some cocktail napkins you know and and a lot and a lot of reviews like single him out as like like even ebert ebert who didn't really like the movie talks about him and praises his performance in the movie i mean i think Uh, it's amazing yeah i mean he delivers he delivers the basic like key line that gives you that tom cruise moment uh at the end right i mean the you know officer on what is it officer yeah. in the room or officer on, officer on deck or something on deck, is what it is yeah. yeah um and it's it's palpable they they have a yeah. real chemistry uh yeah. that is incredible and and i'm actually surprised they don't use him more mm. like because he actually they call the other guy to the stand but they don't call dawson to the stand and i think because after the screw up of them finding out that the other guy didn't hear uh Kiefer give the code red and it was just Dawson. So I guess I thought like, let's not put Dawson up because he's already lied once. Essentially, hmm. no one's gonna believe him. Um, so yeah, as I kind of told Ben beforehand, there aren't a lot of stories regarding the behind the scenes of this film, but a lot of stories, as Ben has kind of talked about before this, is regard uh, Jack Nicholson, uh, which is surprising because he was only on set for ten days. And it seems if Nicholson's... God came to your set for ten days, I think you would remember it, Brandon. Yeah, he. I mean, he pretty much sets the tone, as you said, right from the beginning with the read through. Yeah. And it was Noah Weil who plays like the Marine that drives crews and Pollock and Moore in Cuba says that on day at at the day of the table read, Nicholson comes in like a hundred percent. And when they get to his, everyone else kind of going through the motions, doing the table read, and then when Nicholson comes in, and says his first line, he goes, "Oh, we're oh shit, we're really doing this. Like yeah. we're going." full force who and that just says private pia you know yeah it, yeah it had i'm sure it santiago <laughs> yeah it startled some people who yeah who yeah didn't know like, what the game was right because like sometimes like i know like de niro is known for like and his table if he ever does table read it's like he's whispering his lines and very like he's not giving it like he's not doing it fully but nicholson's mm-hmm. going like full force right from the beginning um and then that leads us into the climactic courtroom scene between nicholson and cruz as you kind of said about the coverage stuff is that reiner reiner basically let nicholson control the pace of the shoot and he said i asked him if he wanted me to shoot the coverage first or shoot shoot hit or shoot his stuff first or shoot the reaction shots first so he could warm up and nicholson oh shoot the reactions and i'll i'll get ready as you do that and reiner did and they realized pretty much from take one no matter who the camera was on nicholson was giving the same performance every time a hundred percent and reiner goes up to him he's like hey jack don't you think you should dial it down a bit so like you don't tire yourself you out save your big, some big close-up and jack's just like rob 
I love to act. <laughs> and he goes, I love to act. And you don't always get to do parts like this. Yeah. And pretty much every actor that's spoken about this scene on the record has said the same exact thing. Yeah. Kevin Pollock said it. Kevin Bacon said it. They said every shot, he was there giving it 100% every time. Never missing a line either, by the way. And Pollock said he never saw someone turn it off, turn it off and on so quickly. Because like, he'd be doing the scene and then like you yell cut and he'd be like he was on pot for the past like five days. Like he would just like switch up his demeanor so quickly. Wow. Like it was insane. He's like he was like he was jokey and goofy on set. And then all of a sudden and he kept calling them all kids. Hey, kids. Like he just like was just having so much fun to be there. Um, which again, and- like as soon as I heard the some of those quotes as I was doing research that you regret, Brandon. <laughs> uh, you know how how cool is that, right? I mean, because it is yeah. true. We're we're sort of nitpicking a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, two two podcast characters nitpicking Sorkin's dialogue, which is a bad yes. you know mistake on our part. But we're not the Oscar winners here. We're so. not the Oscar winners here. <laughs> but but Nicholson's right. I mean, like again, you know. Not a lot of roles like Demi Moore got, uh, yeah. really, and not a lot of roles. I mean, there, you know, there, Nicholson can can do whatever he wants to do, basically. But there's not these are high these profile, are rare, yeah, they're high rare profile roles. roles. They're rare yeah. roles, and to be so dialogue rich and to yeah. give such. I mean, he is on screen a lot through the scene, right? The the back and yeah. forth uh, between him and Cruz, it is a it's a doozy. And there, yeah, there, there's some fun bits. So it, anyway, when I heard that and just that he brought so much the whole way, I just think mm-hmm. that's very, it's a very cool thing to imagine enjoying life that much, basically, right? Because again, he could have showed up, cashed his paycheck, still d- delivered the performance they wanted. It would be yeah. great. But it's like, no, he really had a great time. That That's yeah. fun. That's fun. Yeah. Kevin Bacon was talking about this on 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 like a radio show, and he was saying how like he's like he, he talked about how like yeah like sometimes you're on those movies and like the star like leaves for the day and you have like the script supervisor reading the lines and the and the radio host like they do that he's like oh yeah all the time <laughs> and I've heard I've heard Hanks is the same way well he'll do the same thing with Nicholson he's always there giving you the lines hundred percent off camera for the most part is what I hear from a lot of actors but they said Nicholson was just there every time and Bacon's like it really kind of affected like how I viewed the work yeah. and how like that's that kind of affected my entire career yeah um and so but according to kevin pollock reiner still needed to do a few more shots for nicholson but he couldn't pay him another day and nicholson agreed to come back and reiner's like, i'll promise i'll get you out by noon like just and we need a few more shots with you and then we're done and at noon reiner wrapped nicholson but he still had a few more reaction shots of the judge for the ending uh and Kevin Pollock, who had been in the courtroom all five days of the scene, had heard Nicholson's speech over and over again, so he had it memorized. Wow. And he asked Reiner if he needed it, he could do Nicholson's lines off camera for the judge and do it in Nicholson's voice. And Reiner let him do that. And said when Reiner looked at the dailies a few days later, he told Pollock he, it took him four takes to realize that it wasn't Jack speaking anymore. And then it was Pollock. And he was like, I'll take that as a compliment that I pulled off Jack Nicholson so he couldn't recognize it. I mean, that's, again, a lot of fun. Like, that's a cool, again, just the dream, you know, the, everybody, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a dweeb 
like us, who loves Whoa. movies. Well, I don't think that's that <laughs> offensive. You're listening to us talk for over an hour about a movie. Like, you're, you're a weirdo. You're, you love movies. And how amazing to imagine being on a set where Nicholson's having, you know, the fun of his life. Yeah. Uh, Pollock gets to play Nicholson for fun. Yeah. And Reiner's just down with it. Like, that sounds yeah. like an incredibly fun, collaborative environment that that to me is like the spirit of the magic of some of this right yeah i, I would love i would love to get more information about this movie if I, like, I would love to find out more because there's not a lot like i said there's not a lot out there it's just like literally from like snippets of interviews on radio shows about like someone who loves a few good men asking about it um so yeah i it's 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 hard to it's hard to kind of find stuff out there on the on the interwebs as they'd say um, but yeah, everyone seems to be having fun. Like Sor- Sor- I said, Sorkin said that where like he can give a line here or there or whatever. Or Cruz, I said that Cruz is pretty much like would take a line reading, which most actors don't want to do, mm. like because they want they want the motivation and figure out like what they would do. But Cruz was just like, I'll take a line reading if that's if that's easier to get what mm. you're wanting out of it. It seems like everyone's game for the most part yeah. with the movie. Um, and so that leads in the aftermath of the film. So once the film was edited uh the film began to have test screenings and apparently the test screenings were so positive they moved the release date up by a week according to the company that tested the movie they said it scored higher than any other movies they had tested before that film wow um the movie was moved up from december 18th 1992 to december 11th 1992 which actually upset nicholson because columbia who was releasing the movie moved it to a day where Nicholson had another movie being released on that day, which was Hoffa directed by Danny DeVito. And so Nicholson didn't like that two of his films were basically competing against one another on the same day. Sure. And a few good men was way more successful than Hoffa was. Um, basically, I mean, few good men almost grossed as much as Hoffa did uh, for its entire run. It's opening weekend. The film would be an instant hit grossing $15.5 million in its opening weekend would stay at number one for about three weeks. So probably like till the end of Christmas, basically into the holidays. Um, It would gross a total of $243 million worldwide against its $40 million budget. Wow. So a real, uh, real big hit hit out of the infield. Very much so. Very much so. Uh, It was also a critical success with many saying it was incredibly, it was a, it was a well-made movie, very Hollywood, well-made movie that you don't make anymore with star power performances. However, as we've talked about famed Roger, famed critic, Roger Ebert didn't love the movie, giving it two and a half stars out of four. Stingy, real stingy. And and specifically, we talked about the Demi Moore Cruz relationship, also criticized the screenplay as well. Yeah. Um, The reveal. the, the reveal he didn't yeah. he didn't like that basically they were it's like they rehearsed that they're gonna get uh jessup on the stand and try and get him and then they yeah. go and they do that and so it's like you're telling me you're gonna do that and then you do that and then you told me that you did that and it's like okay yeah. you know we got your feedback ebert but like i i don't know that he's right there like i it's surprise. It's, it's I, don't, I don't think they say everything they're gonna do with jessup no it doesn't beforehand. rob it to me, it doesn't rob. I mean, basically, in my mind, okay, I'm arguing with Ebert, the ghost of Ebert here. I mean, the the description or the the plan that they're that they're hatching is really you're still trying to figure out if Caffey, if Tom Cruise really has the nerve, mm-hmm. the guts 
to, to go through to call yeah. him to yeah. go through with it because it's a huge risk so you have mm-hmm. to sort of and it's complicated enough of like why is it a big risk they really need to kind of walk through it and then the excitement and tension of the actual scene is miles above the like should we do this that like the planning i just don't i don't know it's like a heist movie where they talk about we're gonna go heist this thing and then they go heist mm-hmm. the thing and then they tell you that they heisted it i yeah i don't know i think ebert's wrong here well i, I, I think the argument for him is that you could say that they set that up but then nothing really goes wrong in the process of them doing it sure it comes close like you have that i think you had that good moment when like Cruz is kind of like kind of frozen and Nicholson gets up like, thanks, Danny. I love Washington or whatever he says to him. That's the only time where like kind of like he could fumble the ball here. Right. Um, but doesn't, but it, it doesn't go off the rails that much thing. So may, that's kind of your argument there. I think that's okay. I think yeah, it's fine. It's sort of, I don't, yeah. Like, I don't think he says beforehand, like before the, the ass Nicholson, he doesn't say like with Pollock or more like, he didn't pack his bags. Like he didn't say that exactly. He just sees the he sees the uh, the suits there and realizes, oh wait, he didn't pack his bags essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's all done visually. It's him looking at the phone call yeah. records. It's yeah. that, and then he he lays it down in the court courtroom. Yeah. Um. You don't know about the calling the airline, the air pilots, or, or the air traffic control people, or whatever. Yeah. It's just kind of all there. So I think he does. I think they do it fine. I get his point. I just don't agree with his point. Yeah. I mean, I I guess it's a question about the point of view of the protagonist, you know, like who is the protagonist and what are we afraid of? Like, are we worried that Tom Cruise is going to fail and that will mean that he, you know, doesn't escape the shadow of his father? Are we worried about the defendants because they're going to go away to prison forever for life? I don't know. I feel like the movie has, and that scene, that series of scenes has the mm-hmm. tension that we want. So yeah. I'm not, the answer is um, that it works, basically. You know what I mean? It works. So Ebert's wrong. I, I'll say it this again. time. He's wrong. This time. This time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like a, Ebert, but he's wrong here. Okay. Two and a half stars for a few good men. Get out of here. <laughs> Um, the film would eventually land five Golden Globe nominations and four Oscar nominations, one of which for Nicholson's performance in Best Supporting Actor and another for Best Picture. And so, Ben, that leads us to what worked about A Few Good Men. Granted, I mean, people hopefully have been listening to this whole episode. Um, you know, just talking about the reception and sort of like people reflecting on the movie after it's out, like... Uh, Rob Reiner had a line about how he wanted to make a timeless movie, you know, mm-hmm. something that would be uh, not of its like 90s time, but something that you could yeah. really go back and watch any time. And I think that that is true. Like, it really is one of those like Hollywood classic. Um, the, the one thing this is probably not saying what works, but the music is very dated. Uh, the yeah, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, what works though I mean it, it's the cast it's the delivery I think they elevate a good I think they take a good or great script and bring bring it up to being uh, yeah. you know one of the most uh, memorable you know the you know some of the lines are are recognizable 
mm-hmm. if you've never even seen the movie. And that's a rare, that's extremely rare. Yeah. No, I agree. Cass elevates to a specific level. I think it's, again, I think Reiner is able to make that transition from the comedy guy or whatever to doing something that's more prestige or uh, more of a prestige film sure uh than before and again i think for the script for sorkin's first screenplay uh i think it's it's kind of insane um no matter the flaws or not it's like something about it captures people uh in a way that not a lot of courtroom dramas do it's lightning in a bottle in a certain yeah. sense. Like first screenplay, incredible cast. I think you're what you just said a second ago about prestige movies. I, you know, I think that might be part of what really makes it seem so timeless is that it is not. I don't think they potential I mean, everybody wants to make a prestigious movie. Everybody wants awards yeah. and would love an Oscar, but it doesn't feel like a movie that's set out to be a prestige picture. You know, no. uh, I mean, the performances elevate to that level again, but like there's a way that um, you hear, you know, n- now I don't know about 92, but like, you know, there's a way where there there are like Oscar movies. Right. Yes. Especially in the late 2000s, the, the 2010s, like it's very clear. Daniel Day Lewis shows up. You know why he's coming to drink your Oscars milkshake. He wants an Oscar. And the, it's that prestiginess that's like it's big budget. It's period piece you know what i mean there's there's like a checklist yeah. uh yeah. that's gonna go off and this movie doesn't have those things and yet and yet you have these performances that are prestige oscar nominated for good reason performances i i think that that's um yeah it's noteworthy it, it's an interesting point for Cruz. i think it's an interesting point for all of the actors involved it's like nicholson still has roles afterwards but it's kind of the like this is the moment when everyone realized it's jack nicholson if that makes sense it's like he's reached the like the mountaintop in a way of acting royalty by 92 he can do whatever the hell he wants to and everyone realizes that and so if he comes into a project it's a big deal and everyone brings their a game and everyone does here from directing to write, I think also Bob Richardson, who who's the DP, Robert Richardson, who's DP, I think does a great job with it. Um, it's just all around. It's a it's a well. If it, it's a very Hollywood movie, in a good way, like it yeah. even has the 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 end at the end, which feels very not of its time, of ninety two with like the kind of music swells, Cruz walks out the end it feels very like 1960s courtroom drama uh peak era yeah i think that's the the reiner trying to make it timeless you know sort of means that you're trying to make it a classic which is like you're trying to connect it into a classic era and yet it does feel like a 50s 60s or 40s maybe you know like it really kind of yeah it ends in a way that makes it a hollywood movie yeah um I, is it is it uncouth? Uh, is it poor taste for us to say that this is potentially like peak Nicholson? Is that too bold a, a yeah, remark? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, he, I, w- I the, would never say that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he's in The Departed after this, but it, this is definitely... 
one of the big, well, I mean, the big ones. I mean, he, he does it good, as good as it gets in like 98 or so, 97, 98. Um, I think it's just a period where. I posted it as a question to you, so I didn't. It yeah. wasn't a statement. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to no, be banned I, from the podcast. No, I don't think. I mean, it's like, what what is Nicholson's peak? That's I, that's a hard question to answer. Um because i think at this point i mean maybe maybe it is maybe 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 it's it's kind of he has stuff afterwards but never not every film after this is a banger if that makes sense like oh put yeah it for that sure. way it's like it's like the the it's it's almost like you're you're if to go with sports like say you're a basketball player and like you're getting up in age you're still averaging like 18 17 points a game you still can hit the game winner but you're not having as many good games as you are bad games or you're, not, you're having more mediocre games than you are great games and i think after this he hits a lot of mixed movies from 92 97 does it big with as good as it gets takes a break and then kind of just has a little bit of fun for the last few years. Yeah. So maybe this is the last time you see him really as like Jack Nicholson. He's a, he's at may it's his biggest star he's ever been. It's like at this point he's made everything he's done. Everything after this is just gravy on top. It kind of feels like it, or icing on the cake. I think that's the way to say it in my mind is yeah. that it's like every role after this, just looking through the list, not like yeah. sitting to watch every movie. But it feels like everything past this movie for him is like, hey, I've done it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, I've done it. And this movie, from the stories told of on set and watching his performance, he is doing it. There is no, I have done it. It's, it's he's in it at maximum, uh, you know, speed. And it, yeah. It feels it feels like everything after this, like, hey, I'm just working with my buddies. Yeah. It's like I'm doing Hoffa with my boy Danny DeVito. I'm doing Wolf with Mike Nichols. I'm doing as good as it gets with James L. Brooks. Like I'm, I'm having fun with anger management with Adam Sand. It's like, it's like, right. he's just having fun with like people he likes or wants to work with. He could have easily, if he wanted to, I mean, I don't know what the roles were like for his kind of age at this point in time, but like, I think now after this, he's playing with house money. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is the feeling for sure. I mean, he, um, <laughs> Just thinking about roles for his age. Did he ever do? Has he ever done anything with uh, with Eastwood uh, in the? Am I forgetting something? Because just thinking about angry old men who just keep on acting forever. It's like Eastwood. Is yeah, just... I, I I don't think he has. Now off the top of my head, um, if so, it had to have been very early in yeah. his career. Um, I, some point in the seventies, but yeah, I just think it. Uh, um, Again, Demi, I said it already for Demi Moore. I mean, it's very mm -hmm. clear that you can be you can be a character actor. You can kind of have that Kevin Pollock, uh, you know, in the Rainmaker. It's Danny DeVito. I feel like they have very similar sort of like sidekicky yeah, vibes yeah. as characters there. Um, but yeah, to pick up a role of that weight, uh, mm -hmm. it just it does seem very rare. Now let's go on to did anything not work about this movie? You said um, music. I, I would kind of agree. There's points in the music where I was like, oh, this feels very like feel something like type thing in, in the moment. Yeah. I mean, I, re I rewatched that opening uh, sequence of the um, 
you know, you, you see the, um, the wall or the fence. Yeah. Uh, and then the lighting and the music going into the drama of, you know, wrestling this other guy, you know, with duct tape. Um, it doesn't feel timeless, you know, to, to the point about making the movie timeless. It feels extremely dated, which is just the reality of how anything's going to be. But uh, it's very like Batman sort of lighting, you know, just these like a spinning fan with the light <laughs> chopping it blue light for the moon. It's just yeah, yeah there's just a, a lot of. um, Yeah, and we've already we've said what we've said about and that and that's not. I mean, these are these are lightweight uh, jabs at the movie overall. Like uh, the the yeah. writing, though. I mean, I I do I think there are people who don't like Sorkin now as Masterclass yeah. Sorkin. You know yes. what I mean? So if you don't yes. if you don't like Masterclass Sorkin, uh, then you're you could find all sorts of things to not like about this movie because it's still very Sorkin. Um, I but I I think overall we we've sort of along the way. Uh, yeah said some of the bits that i mean one thing about the writing in the first half again i think the second half is the superior like yeah. portion of the movie i think that's when the pacing is is great i think that's when the the writing is really kind of hitting on all cylinders um i think the first half there's scenes where like the scene just keeps going mm-hmm. yeah and i'm like i thought we ended the scene and then we bring up something at the very end, like that's the end of the scene. Now I was like, I feel like we could have somehow gotten there earlier than this. It's like there was this. It's the scene I think of is like when Pollock and Cruz are like are like pushing the baby carriage with Pollock's kid or whatever. Yeah. And they're talking for a bit of time, and then like Cruz is gonna leave, and they keep talking, they keep talking, and then we get to kind of the purpose of the scene at the very end. I was like, okay, cool. Could we have found a way to get to that earlier? So that's the only. But that's again he's a young screenwriter and there's moments when that's happening. Um, yeah. And you're kind of, yeah, you're, you don't know when to get in and out of a scene. And I think sometimes it's better to, it's like get or, or get in late, leave early. And I feel like he's still leaving kind of late in this. Yeah. I think, I think that's an interesting, like sort of detailed thing to say. I mean, yeah, it, it feels more like you're watching someone learning to use the vocabulary of film right in yes. the in the structure of it and and there are like moments of brilliance that elevate the movie but overall yep. it is um yeah it, it's sort of like you w- you wish a little bit that there was more of that sort of uh you know maybe a, a little more surprise i suppose yeah. like surprise or shortcuts or clever transitions and you just don't really get some of that you get more yeah. bread and butter like here we go and yeah. I, and I guess I guess it's worth saying too that it does feel like portions of it play as a play. You know what I mean? Like yes. you you feel the sort of like it feels like something that has potentially been stretched out to mm-hmm. become a movie rather than starting there, you know? Yeah. Uh because you get quite a bit of these monologue moments that that's like, well, let's put this let's put, you know, uh Kevin Bacon on the basketball court and they, yeah, yeah. Where they walk and talk in a hallway, but ultimately, you know, could have been anywhere. It's, it's just yet another yeah, yeah. Uh, moment for some exposition exposition needs to be doled out. Um, yeah. 
So it it does it yeah it does feel a little bit like some of those action or mo you know the movement of of it into a movie is sort of tacked in again like the walking the baby in the stroller is sort of odd like yeah <laughs> it's like we know that Pollock has a child because that comes up but it doesn't really like the arc of his character that's, that's the last time you see the baby is right then and there yeah anyway it's like it's it's like she just spoke you you heard it she said pa look or whatever it was like yeah. what he was saying um yeah just there's moments where i just felt like it went on just a little tad a tad too long yeah. and that's and the movie's like i think the movie's two hours and 18 minutes or so and that's when you're like i don't like being like oh the movie should be shorter because i'm not i'm not um always for that that's just sometimes an easy cop out for a, a a negative thing but like i think it actually needs to be a little shorter with if you take some of those scenes out like i think it the pacing of it in that first half really kind of just slows slows it down a tad bit i think if you sort of if i imagine more of what ebert was trying to maybe say in his review the middle yeah. section where they are sort of trying to figure out the case yeah. it does feel like okay i don't remember most of those scenes when i think about the movie i remember yeah. the setting that's that location and i remember tom cruise drunk and you know what i mean They're, him playing basketball at the hoop or whatever there, there are bits there that are valuable, but there, it seems like a place where there's some, there's some room to pull out, yeah, uh, bits. But we're not That's gonna, fine, yeah. we're not gonna re-edit the movie. Moving on to film facts, uh, two things I found. So Castle Rock Entertainment, the production company that made the movie, was sued for ten million dollars in damages by several Marines that were involved in the incident that inspired the film, feeling it made them look bad or they, or no they it gave the or they didn't get their permission to use their life, life story. story yeah yeah uh which is help. interesting that that again feels a little bit like sorkin being young where he's like "Ooh, i heard this you know i heard this thing i, I heard mean this thing i just wonder about his sister like yo what happened to her with with that like if it comes out like oh yeah my sister told me this court case she was doing about these uh but it's i mean it's very government like military case yeah um could be dangerous. Um, and the second thing I found, Columbia opened the opened the film in fifty countries simultaneously, making a few good men the first global movie premiere. And that's really that's really odd because I mean, obviously, star started cast, and I suppose they sensed that they had something pretty special on their hands. Yeah, but and and I guess they consolidated their marketing or something. I don't know, but uh, yeah, they advertised on AOL. Uh, 992 that that wasn't around was that around 92 i don't know ben you're older uh, than me i all right but <laughs> the the uh that is odd because it is a distinctly u.s military which i guess maybe we're still sort of the good guys in the world in some places i don't i don't know but anyway that's yeah. odd to me i don't know that i would i guess we roll out top gun and movies like that all the time but I yeah. don't know. That's surprising. A courtroom drama global release. I don't know that I would expect that. Cru but Cruise is big. Nichols again. You yeah. talk about Cruise yeah. and Nicholson at the like height of. Well, I think Nicholson Cruise got bigger as a movie star, but I think Nicholson right. is definitely. It's right after Batman, like a few years yeah. after Batman. He he is like the name but the title type thing. Like here's and that'll lead into kind of like our award stuff. But like Nicholson's in like four scenes, like. It's unbelievable. It's it's very sh it's a short amount of time. So let's go into awards with this. And the first award, the Beatrice Strait Award, actor actually in the scenes that kills it. I 
I usually would put Nicholson in supporting, but I wonder if he fits into here. Because I usually like five or less scenes is kind of like the person limited scenes. Well, to take your prompt literally, don't you give it to one of the soldiers who literally killed a person? All right, Brandon. No. It, <laughs> all right. Trying to fish for some humor here and you're not having it. You can't handle the jokes, Brandon. Okay. I'm back at the I'm back at the well, still trying. <laughs> so but but because I, I Nicholson to me it's there because he's he's there early on for a bit and then gone for a while and then back in at the very end. Right. Like or is it someone else? Do we go with someone's do we, do we leave Nicholson for supporting? Well, so I, I don't know which award you want to give this, you know, let me give this uh actor. But I, uh-huh. I the the name that I wrote down from rewatching the movie was JT Walsh. Um the way that he delivered again, talking about a restraint, he's playing opposite Jack Nicholson, who is, you know, again, incredible. And watching they go to react there's it's the early the early scene where they're introduced, right? Where he's like, I know we went to the academy together. Yeah. J, the, when they cut to the reaction shots of JT Walsh, that dude is stone cold he barely <laughs> does anything and i think that that is shocking okay i think that's sh- okay. i think that's shocking because i i think he has some really great moments and you know appearing in the back of the car sitting yeah, in the hotel was, room i actually love the back of the car thing yeah. <laughs> i mean there there's some iconic little moments okay. and he's not it's not that he's uh you know drinking jack daniels in the rain okay Okay, so uh, so we'll say Nicholson goes to supporting because I think Nicholson, he's not in a lot of scenes, but he is the second build actor in this movie. Like his name's above the 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 title on the poster or whatever, right? With Cruz, and it's him, right. Cruz, and more on the on the poster. Yeah. Um. So we'll put Nicholson supporting category. Um. Okay, so J. I love J. T. Walsh in this. I love J. T. Walsh in general and most things he does. I'm gonna shout out the newsstand guy real quickly, but I will not give it to him because I love I love that that actor in that move in that in that part. Um, I'll go with JT Walsh because I, I think he's good in the hotel scene when Cruz comes in about the log books or whatever. Yeah. Um, it is kind of a um a jarring scene when he when he kills himself essentially. Yeah. Dressed out in his attire and his entire. I mean, attire. I, I think that that again like adds that's a that's one of the emotional like beats of the movie like Mm -hmm. that because you know when we first see the like soldier being killed at the beginning we don't we don't know that he's died but we find out later like it doesn't mean much because we're watching like a batman army sequence that we don't understand yeah Uh, when he you know when jt walsh's character makes his choice it's weighted with the whole what we know uh, the movie it really is like one of the uh the biggest you know big moments emotionally in the movie jessup was going to keep him on the base he said he wanted him trained you've got the transport it's got your signature yeah, i know i signed him the morning you arrived in cuba five days after santiago died i'm going to get you a deal some kind of immunity with the prosecutor In about four days you're going to appear as a witness of defense and you're going to tell the court exactly what you told me so right now i'm going to check you into a motel and we are going to start from the beginning i don't want a deal and i don't want immunity i want you to know that i'm proud neither of what i have done 
or what I am doing. Let's go with Annie Potts X Factor Award act or supporting actor actress is the most memorable. I feel like it has to be Nicholson here. I mean, most memorable. Everybody quotes that line, so you yeah you yeah. have to be a contrarian, which I am not, Brandon. I'm. Oh really? Oh. Uh... <laughs> Do you want me to be? <laughs> I mean, I I think he he is he is the the person who kind of steals the movie in a way, or with the with the amount of time he's on here. Everybody's playing catch up to him. Yeah, for for someone who's in four scenes like he you know you i think of this movie i think of him and then i remember all the other people in it so that's impressive yeah, that's fair that's so that'll, impressive. That'll, be, that'll be interesting for the mvp award coming up uh but yeah i i think he's great i mean shout out denny moore in this i think she's fantastic in this role um i know you've been preaching the, i think she's the, incredible and i and i do I'll, i'm repeating myself but i think that she stretches a role i mean you know ebert's dumb comment that it's like it's just a, a you know the role written for a man that that they cast a woman and i think that's unfair but i think it points to the character is not there's not a lot there to really work with and i think she makes yeah. it into something she makes it into a role again love her scene when she goes in and tries to get the get the case at the very beginning and they yeah. kind of just like it's basically she's a woman like we don't she is not really trained for this like let's not do it and then she still finds a way to like get herself in there as not just a representative or like the 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 internal affairs but also as someone who is actual a lawyer for it by like having the conversation with the aunt and 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 i love that basically she does that after cruz like would not do it basically oh yeah you go ahead and do that like that's the like the small job I, I don't have time to do. And then she finds a way to get into the case by doing that. Um, but yeah, it's just Nicholson really, really is the one that, that takes it here. So give it to Jack. I need an answer to my question, sir. Take caution in your tone, Commander. I'm a fair guy, but this fucking heat is making me absolutely crazy. You want to ask me about code reds on the record, I tell you I discourage the practice in accordance with the commander's directive. Off the record, I tell you it is an invaluable part of close infantry training. And if it happens to go on without my knowledge, so be it. I run my unit how I run my unit. You want to investigate me, roll the dice and take your chances. I eat breakfast 300 yards from 4,000 Cubans who are trained to kill me, so don't think for one second that you can come down here, flash a badge, and make me nervous. And then finally, the Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. I mean, Brandon, you seem are you opposed to people winning multiple awards when they've done it's, exceptional it's, work? It's, it's happened, I think, once before, and it was weirdly last month. So... There is a precedent. There is a precedent. I, okay, well, you need me. You want me. You've asked me to be a contrarian. I I mean, I think uh, Nicholson is the clear choice, but, but there are a lot of big stars, big personalities showing up on set, and it. I think Rob Reiner pulled off something very special in the movie, so yeah. that, that's potentially the, the other pick is just i mean it again it feels like lightning in a bottle where the the script could have not you know 
I mean, again, if he's working with Sorkin to 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 rewrite it, yep, and then directing it to the level that he is, and building this situation on set where everybody is just trying to do everything they can to keep up, then I think it's probably Reiner's award if you're gonna if you're gonna look at it fairly, Brandon. Yeah, it's funny. I think I think he won by stand by stand by me as well. So this could be a second Rob Reiner MVP in less than a, in a month in a month time. I mean, you um, could tweet at him and let him know, and it, it could. Yeah, it's a tough one because I I agree because I think he kind of he's the one that pulls the pieces together. It's like every every story is like, oh, Reiner was watching this and thought about Nicholson, or Reiner was on this movie and thought or the show and thought Kevin Pollock, or Reiner thought Sorkin could do it and brought in William Goldman to help him some, or all these. It's it's like it was he he's the captain of the ship, and. And if you promote that environment, that collaborative environment, people come to work and want to work. But then the argument, though, is is Nicholson also sets the tone on day one of that table read when he comes 100 percent. But not every director does a table read, though, right? That's true. That's true. I'm going to give it to Reiner. I'm going to give it to Reiner because I think... We talked about how Nicholson's playing with house money. Uh, so Nicholson, I think, doesn't really lose much if this doesn't go well. I think it's more important in Reiner's like trajectory in some way. I think, honestly, I know he does American President after this. I think this is probably his last, like, I hate to say it because I, I, I love his work. This might be his last great film is this movie for Rob Reiner. He's made stuff. He's made good stuff afterwards. But I think this is the one where I think it's like he really hits it out of the park. So I think American President feels more Aaron Sorkin than this does, is the thing. Because it's the early version of West Wing, basically. Um, yeah, he really had a run. And I think this probably caps it. That is yeah, unbelievable. Um, no, yeah. It's like you, do, it's like I, we talked about this with Stand By Me, where it's like it's Stand By Me. Uh, well, this is Spinal Tap, The Sure Thing, Stand By Me, When Harry Met Sally, Misery, A Few Good Men, Princess Bride's in there too. Like, it's just like bang, 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 bang. And all different. Like, some are comedies, but they're all different styles of comedy. Right. And this is like, let me show you, I can do it like a straight drama. Bam. So I think it's Rob Reiner. I really, I really... That was a big case in my head. I had to argue each point, you know, get the get all I that I think damn. you landed on the truth, Brandon. Okay, that's and I can handle it. Lieutenant, this letter makes it look like your client had a motive to kill Santiago. Got you. And Santiago is who? The victim. Write that down. Am I correct in assuming that these letters don't paint a flattering picture of Marine Corps life at Guantanamo Bay? Yes, and among... Am I further right in assuming that a protracted investigation of this incident might cause some embarrassment for the Security Council guy? Colonel Jessup... I... Twelve years. I'm sorry? I'll get them to drop the conspiracy and conduct unbecoming. Twelve years. You haven't talked to a witness or looked at a piece of paper. Pretty impressive, huh? You're gonna have to go deeper than that. Commander, do you have some sort of jurisdiction here that I should know about? My job is to make sure that you do your job. I'm special counsel for internal affairs, so my jurisdiction's pretty much in your face. Read the letters. I'll expect a report when you return from Cuba. Sure. You're dismissed. 
I always forget that part. So, all right, final questions. If this was remade today, who would you cast? Yeah, I'm never, I'm never ready for this. Uh, yeah, I forgot. I, I, I made a quick list, so I don't know if mine's going to be great. I think one's good. One of them's good. But we'll, I mean, we'll will this ever be remade? Um, I think you'd have to. If I'm an executive, I wait until Jack Nicholson is honestly no longer on earth just on just because it's like you you almost need an entirely new generation of people who've never seen the movie i think right because it's so iconic this is i think this is a this is someone remaking like a 1940s movie in 1990 like it's 50 years yeah Uh, you don't have you don't have to think this literal ben it's okay 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 (laughs) I'm, i'm just thinking that this movie gets remade in 19 or in 2040 so we're we're all right. You don't want me to be this literal. We don't have the actors for that right now. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just thinking about Ryan Gosling's children and which of them grow up to be a star. Did he, did, was that also your pick? Because that was my pick for Cruz's role. Actually. Oh, interesting. Gosling. Yeah, I had Gosling. Damn. I mean, that's. I I love Gosling. I don't know. I don't know because because like so much he, of would, the Tom... he, he wouldn't be he wouldn't be the young hotshot because he's yeah. not that he's not that young. <laughs> Right. That's the thing. I don't think he's it because there's a there's a okay. snarky smarminess that I don't think that Gosling uh would pull off that you want. Um So so who do you so who do you have? Who 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 all do you have, Ben? Oh, I, I don't know, Brandon. You I, you're, I really, oh, you're like, oh you didn't give me any <laughs> I mean McConaughey goes in here somewhere. Uh, oh god. I, I don't have McConaughey. If, if you're saying Gosling's too old, but you go with McConaughey, get the hell out of here. No, it's a challenge because, yeah, all of these characters have to be basically, yeah, Jag school age, right? So they got to be yeah. like 25, 30-ish. Yeah. It's, okay, a tough, I, it's a tough lineup. All right. Uh, all right I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull some out really quickly. Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza for Demi Moore's role. See, I, I had Rooney Mara is one I thought about okay. for it was kind role. of a joke, but it would be she. I think she I could like actually Aubrey reach Plaza. for it. I think she could I think reach she could for too. it. I, think I she just could watched too. her in uh, bestsellers or booksellers. Bestsellers, book booksellers. Yeah, yeah. Booksellers. Oh, yeah, Michael Caine. One, one, one of the two. One of the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, I talking and, about, yeah. and she, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. But I think, she, <laughs> I think it's a. <laughs> but I think maybe she could. I would have her come in for the read. She's doing, yeah, she's doing. She's doing more dramatic stuff. Of late. I could see right. that. Yeah. I like Dakota Johnson too. I wouldn't okay. be against that for for that role. Sure. Um uh I said Dakota Johnson. If you want to go like younger, like maybe Anya Taylor Joy, she might be a little too young. I think your toughest roles to fill are obviously Jack Nicholson's role and it's Demi Moore's role. And then <laughs> And then that uh, no, but I think that's really it because you can basically get a schmarmy hotshot jerk. I mean, is it Miles Teller? Is it Glenn it's Powell? Probably, from... It's probably Miles Teller or something, which is like or Glenn eh. Powell. Glenn Powell from I keep we we keep pushing Glenn Powell on here. Yeah, I could go that direction. I mean, that that's the thing is like I really do think you could basically line up like ten to twenty different like hotshot actors. Because it lines up with just the natural sort of demographic of like hotshot male actors, they could play the role. Yeah, uh, it's the Demi Moore role, the Jack Nicholson role, and 
I don't know. I mean, like I mean, the, I, 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 I think I have the Jack Nicholson role, but that's all right. Hit, hit me with it, Clint Eastwood, Denzel. Oh wow, wow, huh? I think Denzel is that is that actor who's kind of replaced Nicholson as that elder statesman of acting. Yeah, I really, Brandon, I really like that. I really could see doing that before 2040. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> like, I mean, and like, it's like, is it Michael? Is it like a Michael B. Jordan in that role to go opposite him? I'm not sure. Oh um, wow! I mean, I'd but, watch the hell out of that. But like, because I think we put, I think we put them together in like a Crimson Tide remake where Denzel mm. was playing the Hackman role and Jordan was playing the Denzel role. Um, but yeah, I think Denzel would be perfect for that for that role because the thing he's all he's also in a period now. Denzel is where he's just like. He's also a guy who has house money right now. Sure. He's do he's doing roles that like he wants to do before he hangs it up. Is Fences what it feels like. and yeah, all sorts of. Yeah, roles. it's like I, I know he's got on the record saying he wants to work with PTA and like yeah. and I know he which just how did cool the, is that? How cool is that to basically be like naming call your shots? Yeah, and then just did like the the tragedy Macbeth with yeah. uh with coat with with Joel Cohen. Yeah, like he's really just like. Cause I think he said like I've worked I've done a lot of great movies but I haven't really worked with all the great directors that are out there so I think he's now yeah. doing the bucket list of stuff so I think he's a guy who could easily I mean ten days worth of work come in do this role and I think he's kind of, he's kind of that I think when you're talking about who has that gravitas or that that stature that Nicholson had at that point I think as like who's legendary within the kind of generations of acting right yeah. now like who 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 do they look up to and I'm like Denzel's kind of that guy. It's like yeah, De it's like Denzel, Hanks, and Cruz are kind of those three that I think people that were that were so good for so long that people see as like a legend. I mean, Brandon, you're asking a uh, you know a person like me to make these calls, but uh, if I'm thinking about marketing, I mean, could you see Tom Cruise in ten years in that role? That's a good question. Because uh, that that would actually be kind of amazing. It doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? It it makes zero sense. But I'm just we're just spitballing here. We're just care we're just weird. I think it's I think it's different performance. Um I think if you're wanting close to the Nicholson thing or something like, like a interpretation of that, I think Denzel's the better pick. No, I I love your pick. I'm just I'm yeah. just wondering about there there's an aspect of the role which is the incredibly disgusting cigar chomping like sexist aspect yeah. which Denzel has kind of done along those lines ish like but he's more charming yeah it's it's training day or whatever where he it's yeah. like he's kind of a he's he's a corrupted individual that you yeah. kind of like to see be be bad right um and so i i think he could he could totally do it but i think uh Cruz reaching in that direction would be it's a stretch to me it would be a stretch it would be interesting i mean that's that's the question in my mind is like the movie is fairly timeless so if you were to remake it what would be your angle to really mm -hmm. justify like why come watch this why watch yeah. this again if you can rent this on netflix or whatever uh rent it on netflix listen to me this is all just a what if scenario here i know I'm, I'm just i'm i'm curious <laughs> I'm curious about you'd have to stack the cast again would be yeah. a key thing. But I do wonder if you take a different 
um you know you find you find a slightly different angle in uh you know may, you rearrange the script a little bit maybe you keep that you keep those key moments that people remember but i yeah. wonder i want i just wonder what your angle in would be to justify making it all over again this is just a podcast question we're just we're just we're just we're just having fun brandon i would i could see so we got so we got denzel a sequel <laughs> a sequel where tom cruise is on the stand and he has the jack nicholson style scenario all right <laughs> all right so i'm just gonna set denzel for uh for jessup i'm gonna say i'll have miles teller for 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 uh caffey's role I would stay home just to, just to put that out there as a as a teller. I'm a I'm a teller teller we'll, agnostic. We'll, we'll do Jordan. We'll do Jordan. We'll do Miles okay. Jordan then because we we, we can I'd that be there a little for bit. that. I'd be there for that. Okay, so Miles be Jordan, uh, Denzel Washington, and oh, I like Tessa Thompson in mm. that role. Now that I think about that, someone wow. who's worked with Jordan a lot. Let's do Tessa Thompson. That would wanna, that would be great. I I want to see that. I want to see that now. And then like um get Bill Burr. Put Bill Burr in in the Kevin Pol- in the Kevin Pollock role. Let's do that. Bill Burr Bill Burr You know who Bill Te- Burr would Tess- play is Kiefer Sutherland's role or Kevin Bacon's role. Or Kevin Bacon's role. Yeah. Uh, now I think Bill Burr would be the fun Kevin Pollock role. Bill Burr, Tessa Thompson, Maui Jordan, Denzel Washington. That's a cast. I'm more of a reach person. I, I put Bill Burr over in the Kiefer Sutherland role and he's like <laughs> Yeah. He's not. He's not young enough, though. Kiefer's, Kiefer's young at that I point. I know. Yeah. Um. All right. Next question. Does this film fit with any other genres? I mean, it's pretty much a courtroom drama, a military movie in some way. It's not a war movie, but it's a military movie. Yeah. They don't even really. You know, a surprising thing kind of is they don't show that like uh, fence line shooting, right? Like it's there's no. no there's not a single gunshot in the whole thing. So it's just a, it's like a military, it's a military film, essentially. Not yeah, war. I mean, it's a court, it's a courtroom drama, but yeah, you could, you could push it over there if you wanted. Yeah. Well, because the whole, I mean, again, it's military because you had the whole Nicholson speech of like, of, of like why you need someone there. Yeah, the, the and, warm blanket of, of freedom of that freedom. I provide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, the thing about Jessup is like, he can he's making valid points in his mind and he's not like oh, yeah he's yeah. not he's not kurtz and apocalypse now or whatever he's not like full crazy it's just you're seeing that generational change of like yeah we can't be this way we can't handle freedom this way that you're doing it this is not yeah. the correct way of doing this but yeah um and then how does this film fit within the courtroom dra- dra- courtroom drama genre ben it fits in well brandon Thanks, thanks, Ben. <laughs> we got the young hotshot lawyer. You got the yeah, a lot of monologues yeah. going. Well, and like I said, I think that Kevin Pollack, like the sidekicky role, is a lot like many other. Yeah, it's De- yeah, it's Devito and Rainmaker. I, I think again, like Demi Moore is sort of this odd, like third wheel to that relationship. That's that changes it in a, in yeah. an interesting way. Because like it, it could go. I think the comparison piece of that is like Sandra Bullock in a time to kill or whatever. Mm. Where like there's more they they really push the romantic love interest more in that, yeah. I think. Yeah. It's it, I, don't, I don't think it ever happens because I think because he's married or whatever, but it's very much more of a possibility and here it's just kind of hinted at. Um but no, it has and it, yeah, it has the kind of like 
a lot of courtroom cases like oh it's the it's the losing you're, you're fighting a losing battle a lot of the times and what i like about this movie that we hadn't brought up is that like the thing is they win but also lose and that's what's very interesting for the movie is that they they get like the two big the big ones off of like no murder no conspiracy to murder but basically they acted um they acted not like a marine basically is what it was they made the marines look bad and because of that they essentially lose their identity in their eyes their identity in some way um and i like they do that it's not a full-blown like we're all happy cheering rah-rah at the very end of them all winning there is a little bit of like it's bittersweet for them and i think that fits with the fact that someone died right i mean it's like you can't really end the movie and be like hooray that person died and everyone walked away yeah Um, someone's got to be punished in some way mm -hmm. and again it's what cruz says it's like you don't need a badge for honor Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the the key thing at the end is that you don't need marines don't determine if you're a good person if you're an honorable person it's the moral lesson of the movie and it's a it's a beautiful lesson um I think to your question about like how it fits in the genre, right? There's no real like jury, jury wrangling, picking, like pitching to them. There's not a lot with the judge. Like it's, 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 uh, it's very focused in on that. Like the, the relationship of Kevin Pollack, Tom Cruise and Demi Moore. Yeah. Jessup and a little bit of Kevin Bacon, but we don't, we don't really get, like Kevin Bacon's not really like clever, you know, like a lot of times no. that there is some sort of like uh chess match aspect, you know? Yeah. And we don't really get that in this movie. We just sort of know that Kevin Bacon's playing it by the book. He's yeah. not trying to do anything underhanded. That's just it. It's pretty yeah, straight laced basically. Yeah. Yeah. He does a good job of redirecting anytime Cruz says something, he just redirects a different way. It's that's what, yeah. that's what the movie does a good job at showing. And yeah, ba- again, Bacon's just he's what I like about his character is he's not shown as like this evil attorney on the other side. Like sometimes you had the like the attorneys like, oh, they're in on it type thing or whatever. But right. like because someone's died, and because we know these guys are responsible for the actual doing it. Right. Um they were just were they following or were they not? Um and yeah, there's a good again, you get the good idea of like the strategy of it all of like i actually well, i didn't i failed to mention earlier i love the kind of like training montage in a way of them like doing the case in his apartment together and yeah. that's where you see the kind of the friendship and the work relationship all build there and so you, you this that's a good job of seeing the like inner workings of it in some way of of, of taking on a trial basically so ben i think that's on a few good men anything else you wanted to add Brandon, we're Same. almost up towards the runtime of the movie. Like we're basically like a, uh, you know. Oh, blue- this will be cut. This will definitely be cut down. Don't a, worry. A Blu-ray commentary track. Uh, at this point, we should we should have told people like, and now start the movie now. Yeah. 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 No, I'll I'll definitely cut the parts when you're jumping on my stuff. Uh, no, I'm I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was just snatching the uh, <laughs> the papers from you like uh, Tom Cruise from Kevin Bacon yeah it's great homework no i'm happy to have you back on here this is good brandon i i think this is a great movie we uh yeah we we covered some good ground and we did next week we're covering my cousin Vinny, so stay tuned for that go watch it if you can 
And that's all we have for you on this episode. If you have any questions for us, feel free to contact us at sendationpodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments, or even kind words. Tell me how you feel about Ben. I'll relay the information to him. Yeah, um, I was gonna say like can't, <laughs> people can like TikTok you now, right? Like I don't, yeah, I'm not on, yeah. I'm not on TikTok. So say yeah. all your mean things there, and then Brandon will filter it out. <laughs> and and if you're a new listener or just a fan of the show, and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us, be sure to subscribe to the Sination Podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to write us a review on your preferred podcast platform. These reviews kind of help get the word out about us. It kind of helps gain a new audience, but we love hearing what you have to say. Five stars, five stars. And finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Ben, again, thank you for returning to the Sination Podcast and talking about a few good men. Thanks for having me back. And thank you all for listening. We have to listen to more episodes soon. Bye. Bye.